0: It is really good to see all of you again this morning. Isn't it great to be here in the house of the Lord this morning on a Sunday? Man, we just have such a great church family. I mean, oh, Jim, brother, you just brought us the good news this morning, and we we sang the good news together here already. And if you're a guest with us this morning, I'd especially like to welcome you here today. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe you've come a few times And there's something that I would like you to consider as a guest among us here this morning. Would you give us five weeks? That's what I'd like you to consider. Because I think it's hard to make a decision on something the first time or maybe even the second time. I mean, consider broccoli. (laughs) If it's true that I got to eat broccoli at least 30 times before I finally liked it, how much more important to at least give us five weeks? Sundays, so that you can see that we are, in fact, I believe, a place where you can find relationship and community and connection and encouragement and answers to the most important questions that you're asking in life. So give us five weeks. Just come, keep checking us out, keep talking with us. As a matter of fact, why don't we do that just for like five to ten seconds right now? Just turn to the person next to you this morning and say grace and peace to you this morning. Oh, look at y'all. You're all just so friendly. You just look like a you look like a church where anyone could grow. Which happens to be what we're talking about over the last week, this week, and next week. Based on this equation. You remember last week's equation? The good news plus safety plus time. Say it with me. The good news plus safety plus time is a church where anyone can grow. And last week, as I explored this equation, as we explored this equation that I learned from my friend Ray Ortland together, we dove into the good news. We discovered that grace is the completely undeserved loving commitment of God for us, to us. Today, we're going to spend some time exploring that second part of the equation safety. So we should probably define that word right at the beginning here. What is safety? What do we mean by safety? Safety is a non-accusing environment. No embarrassing anyone. No manipulation. No oppression. No condescension. But respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. A church environment where no one seeking Jesus has anything to fear. Safety, nothing to fear. Huh. How is that possible for sinners (laughs) to have nothing to fear? Well, today we're going to hear a story involving Jesus that shows us how it's possible. But first, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning. I'm so grateful for every person in this room. I'm grateful for every person online listening now. And I ask, would you just remove the distraction? Father, there is isn't anything else that matters really for just a little bit outside these walls. It'll all be waiting for us when we leave. So help us to just be present here now this morning. Not because I have something important to say, but because Jesus has something important to show us. So help us to see him clearly by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in his name and all God's people said. Nobody really knew her name, but everybody thought they knew who she was, a sinner. That's the way it works sometimes in a small town. She'd made a lot of mistakes and even more poor choices. It had led her down roads from which she used to think that there was no return. She was used to the rejection of those in her small community, especially those who considered themselves religious and faithful. She was isolated, lonely, and despised. All because of a life that she had defiled. As she walked lonely paths, she had grown used to looking down, It made it easier not to look into anybody's eyes, to see the disgust and condemnation there, the judgment, the lack of any warmth or acceptance, welcome or forgiveness. It was easier to just be alone, mostly. Easier to just accept who she was seen to be and what that meant for her life. Easier, even though it didn't make sense of the God that she had heard about in Torah, the God who despite all of her sin still sought out his children, would not reject them, but save them. How Zephaniah had even said as her mother had taught her as a small child that he would be a safe place for sinners. That he would dwell among them someday and sing and delight over them, even her. Alas, rather than fight for something different, it was just easier to live in the bubble of her rejection and isolation. Easier until he came. He wasn't like the other religious leaders While their goal seemed separatism, his seemed inclusion. While theirs seemed harshness, his seemed gentleness. While they were cold, he was warm. While they seemed empty of joy, he was filled with mirth. He ate and drank with those who were rejected and despised. And he was here in her small town, Jesus News came of some arguments between her harsh religious leaders and this rabbi named Jesus that people were calling the friend of sinners. And then news of a dinner meal with Simon, one of the most well-known Pharisees. And she knew what that meant, an open dinner party. Everyone could attend. The door would be open, but she knew the rules too. You may enter, but only at the periphery. You may enter, but you don't get to speak. And she was a woman that meant that she, among all people, could not draw near to a rabbi like him. And she was a known sinner. Which meant the risk that this rabbi, even with what she had heard about him, friend of sinners, well... Maybe it wouldn't be true for her, but risk she would. (laughs) So she devised a plan and decided and acted. And Luke wants you to know her story and what it means for sinners like us. For along with everyone at this dinner party, we this morning will be confronted with this question. Who is this man who even forgives sinners? Who indeed? Luke 7, chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went, went to the home of this Pharisee, those who'd been attacking him. Jesus is available to everybody. Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping, her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. She kept doing this. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. We don't know her name, but we know what Simon thought of her. Right? That's what we're getting here. The Pharisees thought. He said to himself, we know his thoughts of Jesus, his thoughts of this woman, thoughts that positively ooze with self-righteousness and pride. She's a sinner. <laughs> Good grief, as if he's not. I, I wonder, what do you think of her when you see her here? Do you remember what I said safety was a few moments ago, a non-accusing environment, no embarrassing anyone, no oppression, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. Simon's home is not that place. This dinner party is not safe. It's dangerous. But here she is, Risking. What do you think of her? You know what I think of her? I think she's courageous. You see, we must not mistake what's happening in this moment. You, you may think, you may be tempted to think that this is just the way things work in an ancient Near Eastern culture, that somehow this is normal, that this would normally happen. But this is not normal at all. This moment here is just as awkward then as it would be now if it happened at one of our dinner parties were Jesus attending. And this woman had shown up acting the way that she had. Think about this for a second. What if someone came into that lobby that was just filled with people and walked up to another person and fell down at their feet? and started weeping. And you could just hear the sobs. Not saying anything. Wiping, kissing, feet. We'd all feel pretty awkward, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. We think that's kind of weird what's going on here, why they doing this. Maybe you'd have compassion. You'd wonder what's wrong, what's happening to this person. Why, are they, why, why have they fallen down? Why they? And what does Simon do in this moment when a woman is pouring her eyes out and wiping with her hair dirty, soiled feet? What does he think? He's condescending toward Jesus <laughs> if he were a prophet. He's condescending towards her. He knew what kind of woman that she was. He's just oozing harshness and aloofness and coldness and hard-heartedness. Think of who he is. He is a Pharisee. An emissary of God who is compassionate towards sinners and longs that all should seek repentance. And instead of operating as the very person that God had intended him to be as a religious leader, as a representative of Yahweh, he does the complete opposite thing. And he's just rejecting her out of hand. And while she's courageous in this moment, he's a coward. Because he doesn't even say it. He just thinks it. So that nobody will hear him. Or so he thought. Verse 40 Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love Jesus. just like, can you just imagine? I mean, Jesus is about to prove twice over exactly the opposite of what Simon is thinking of him. He's not a prophet, so let me do this for you. I'm gonna read your thoughts and respond directly to them and show you that I am a prophet because I can read your mind, and I'm gonna show you what I know about this woman, which is far more than you know about her. Go, Jesus. See, I, I get all like you just you want to punch this guy in the throat, don't you? <laughs> Jesus, just like calm. Just learn from Jesus, be calm. Yeah, but he throws down here, too, so. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Uh oh.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what I'd have been thinking.
0: <laughs> uh oh. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, Now, don't you just wish that the audio Bible you listened to, you had like the originally inspired audio Bible so that you could know the tone of exactly what was being said and how it was being said? Because I just, like in my mind and in my head, I hear like this aloof, harsh Simon, and he's just kind of like putting up with Jesus in this little story. And and then he's like... I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Like, that's what it just feels like Simon is going to be. It it feels like maybe he doesn't even understand that he's been trapped already in this moment. That's right, Jesus said. You're right. The one for whom he canceled the larger debt. One of my favorite old dead preachers is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Brit born in 1899, and he tells us a modern story to understand a bit what Jesus is trying to help Simon understand here. This is from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Imagine if a friend of yours said, I was at your home and you weren't there. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't have looked, but I saw a bill on the table. And I looked at the bill and I said, you know, because I'm your friend, I'm going to pay that bill. So imagine your friend actually wrote a check put it in the envelope, sent it in and said, I paid your bill, I just wanted you to know that. So how would you feel if your friend had done that for you? Well, it all depends on how big the bill was, right? What if it was your last month's phone bill? (laughs) Now, for some of you, that might be a really big bill. Would you say, wow, thank you? Maybe you would, but, Imagine if it was that letter from the IRS about seven years of back taxes, threatening you with jail, saying in a kind of government ease, I'm gonna get you, sucker. What if that was the bill your friend sent in? You're not gonna just say, well, thank you. You're gonna be like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I am your servant. Just tell me what you want me to do. Right? There's. Your level of thankfulness is dependent on the level of what was forgiven. Your response depends on how big the debt is, how costly it was to the person who paid for you. And Simon doesn't get it. You see, he doesn't see that he is in need. He doesn't understand his debt, but she does. The isolated, despised, condemned sinner is actually in a better position and place than Simon for joy and love. Is that not ironic? Listen to Jesus explain what's going on at this dangerous dinner party. Verse 44 Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, I love this about Jesus. Don't you love about Jesus? Don't miss how relational he is. He's looking in her eyes when he's saying something to him. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, he's looking in her eyes. have been forgiven. So, because of that, she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Her sins, and they are many. He said that out loud looking at her, speaking to Simon, but looking at her. Simon didn't think that Jesus knew who he was allowing to get close to him, but Jesus proves that he knows her far better than Simon does. And if Jesus had just stopped at the statement of her sin, he would have been like all the other religious leaders and the rest of the people in her community, only seeing her as a sinner. But he doesn't stop there, looking at her. And I have to believe he's just looking right in her eyes at this moment. And he's talking to Simon. He says, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, which is to say, your sins have been forgiven, dear sister. So that close into Jesus, drawing close, here this woman who had found only judgment and condescension finds a non accusing environment. No oppression, no manipulation, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and (sighs) understanding. What a savior! She finds a place where she can unburden her soul and be forgiven. Good night. And because she is known this way and been forgiven, because she knows Jesus this way, that he is safe because she understands the depth of her sin but also in this moment the forgiveness of God that can touch the very deepest most dark parts of her she is filled with joy and love like it it's like waters that have just been pent up behind the dam and in this moment of forgiveness, the dam just breaks and streams of joy and love literally falling from her eyes, overflow. (laughs) One author says it this way, if the knowledge that you are saved by the grace of God does not utterly thrill you all the time, does not infuse your whole life with joy, it means you don't know how big a sinner you are. <laughs> That's so fantastic. Isn't that ironic? Like, I have not thought about it that way before that my self-understanding of my sin, which usually means in my living out of the Christian life, that I get weighed down, I feel shame, it's hard to go to God because I feel like he's going to not be this safe place because of all my sin. This story is teaching me that he's the God who takes great joy in delighting in forgiving me. And when I understand, not in a way Paul would say, don't sin so that you can see grace abound, so Don't get wonky on this but would understand that where sin is present, grace abounds all the more. Paul's just looking at this story, and that's what he's seen. Wow. This is some good stuff here. And should result in us being filled with joy and, and a thrill at who Jesus is for. Every time sin crops up in my life, I get the roundup of forgiveness and I squirt that bugger down. Right? It just... I don't know about you, in my life, I mean like I'm constantly weed-eating all day long, but I just... That should result in happiness. Are you with me? Okay. I just wanted to make sure the more we... See our sin, recognize it, name it, the depths of it, the greater the potential for us to understand the depth of our forgiveness from Jesus, to experience fullness of joy in Jesus, and to be overflowing with love for Jesus. Okay? If, and this is a big condition, if we do not allow that same sin to keep us from the safe embrace of Jesus, Did you see see what's at play here? We will be tempted to think, friends, that God is not safe because of our sin. We will be tempted to think that he is surprised by our sin. We will be tempted to think that his inclination is to punish us and shame us and accuse us and embarrass us and condescend to us and express disappointment in us and be impatient with us and disgusted with us. We will be tempted to fear him because we will be tempted to think that he is shocked when, after redeeming us, we run to our old ways again. We will be tempted to think that he can't fix what is broken again and again and again and again but that would be to misunderstand God and his son Jesus you see the only thing that can harm you the only thing that can harm you is an unforgiven sin did you know that that's the only thing that can harm you and Jesus came into this world and lived a perfect life right her sins were many His sins were zero. And he took on all of our sins and entered the dangerous place of God's wrath. He entered accusation. He entered the place of shame so that his father turned. His face away. He entered rejection and isolation and death so that he could always be a safe place of refuge for you. Wow. What a savior. What a savior and that that would be true for you, though your sins are many. (laughs) Who among us could not have that said of them? That if someone knew the very deepest, dark, and intimate parts of you, wouldn't say? And Matthew, and his sins are many. You know something remarkable to me about Jesus? among the many things we've already seen remarkable about Jesus this morning, he seeks joy just as much in granting forgiveness as we do in receiving it. He seeks joy just as much in granting forgiveness as we do in receiving it. It makes him happy to forgive you. An old dead guy, Puritan Thomas Goodwin, said this of Jesus. His own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. Isn't this what we learn in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Wouldn't it make sense if it was joy Him looking down the timeline of history, seeing you, and saying, what I'm doing right now saves George. What I'm doing right now saves Seth. What I'm doing right now saves you, and that makes me happy. Wouldn't it make just as much sense that every bit of forgiveness, no matter how many times you come to him, brings him just as much joy as it did in that initial moment of redeeming you? to keep applying and applying and applying that redemption and forgiveness. Jesus gets joy when sinners come to him because forgiving them is a display of his heart towards them. (laughs) Why else would he have died for us? And if he did that, why wouldn't he want us constantly and regularly to keep running to him when we've sinned? He is safe. So, here we are at the end. Confronted with this man, grappling with this question, verse 49. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Which you should say, yes, who is he? As many of you know, I'm from the Midwest. And in the Midwest, we have this saying. Maybe you're familiar with it. Yeah, but. It's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah, but it could rain. I think you're going to get that interview. Yeah, but they might not call me back. The Vikings are going to have a great year this year. Yeah, but they're the Vikings. Jesus is God who became a man to forgive all the sins of everyone who would come to him. Yeah, but you don't know how big of a sinner I am. You don't know what I did last night. What I looked at. What I said to my wife. How I treated a friend. And do you know what Jesus says to that? When we come and talk about all of our sin, He says, yeah, you have failed, and your sins are many, but those the Father have given to me, I will never reject them. Oh, my goodness. Did you hear that? those the Father has given to me, I will never reject them. We say, yeah, but, he says, I will never reject you. (sighs) Dane Ortland, son of Ray, the Ortlands just influenced my life all over the place, is the author of my favorite book of last year, Gentle and Lowly. This is the book, The Heart of Christ for Sinners And sufferers, you must buy this book. You must. I'm telling you, you must buy this. Who who here had an egg for breakfast this morning? Jackie, congratulations. (laughs) There you go. All right. Who knows what the question will be next week? (laughs) In that book, Dane talks about. the safety of Jesus. Here's what he says. Fallen, anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. Isn't that true? Don't you just come up with all kinds of reasons why he should reject you and not forgive you? I do. We are factories of fresh resistance to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we will retain a vague sense. You hear what he's saying? Even when the reasons that are so logical run out, There'll be this vague sense that given enough time, Jesus is just going to grow tired of us. He's gonna kind of stiff arm us. Like, good night, Molesky, again with the impatience. Ah! No, wait, he, he imagines this interchange. No, wait, we say, cautiously. Approaching Jesus, you you, you don't understand. I've, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure. It's certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, okay, Jesus, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon, but that's the only person I'm here to help. The burden is heavier, Jesus, and it it just gets heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. But it's, it's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're actually directed towards you, Jesus. Then am I not the one most suited to forgive them? but the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you're going to get fed up with me. Those the Father has given to me, I will never reject them. Do you see, dear friends, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? His name is Jesus, and this is his heart for you for he cannot bear to part from you. (laughs) Did you know that this morning? Jesus can't bear to depart from you because you are a member of his body, Ephesians 5. Raise your objections and all your yeah buts, but none of your words, dear friend, will never overcome his. Your sins are forgiven and I will never reject you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. Go in healing. Go in the shalom of God as you were made to be. Family, do you know what a church filled with people like this would look like that believed this? who understand Jesus like this, who have tasted of the safety found in him, it would be a group of people who receives sinners just the way that he did. Who welcomes sinners because a group of people like this believes that forgiveness and, con- and not condemnation right? Not beating someone up for the wrong things they do. Forgiveness is what actually transforms a person. Love and forgiveness possess the power. This is what we believe to change a person's heart. And a group of people like that, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of the grace of God, will provide a non-accusing environment. No embarrassing anyone, no manipulation. Worship team, would you come up? No oppression, no condescension, but a group of people like that who see Jesus like this and love him because they themselves have been saved will be a place where sinners can find respect and sympathy and understanding and they can confess and unburden their souls. They would create an atmosphere of grace where no one seeking to take just one small step closer to Jesus, just one small step, would have anything to fear. That might just be a church where anyone could grow.